What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I am joined by Mary Beth Hosking. Welcome, Mary Beth. Thank you. Thank you, Cassandra. Happy to be here. Oh, I've been looking forward to our conversation. So you are the CEO of Vic ICT for Women, which is how we met after I was recently invited to run a workshop for the network. And I love at the top of your about section on LinkedIn, you share this really powerful quote from Amber Gordon, which says, trust in yourself, believe that your voice matters and know that your words are good enough. I really love that. And you describe yourself as someone who is motivated by driving change and transformation with people at the center You are also an author and a two-times technology award winner for the wonderful work you have done in the diversity space. So I want to invite you now, Mary Beth, to share more details that you think might be important about who you are, the work you do in the world, and perhaps a few more words about the Vic ICT for women, what that's all about for those who haven't heard about it. Thank you, Cassandra. That's an amazing intro. Thank you. So a little bit more about me. I have been in technology for well over 20 years and seen a great deal of change, but I didn't start there. I started as a singer many years ago and had a pivotal moment where I decided that that really wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. And I wanted to move into corporate Australia and I had aspirations to move to the C-suite. And so for me, my journey has been one of discovery, uh, self-reflection, and really understanding those things that make me tick and what is authentic about me and and my brand. At the beginning of this year, I had a a bit of a, a change, a change of heart. I was working as a global CIO and I felt that I do quite a bit of public speaking. So those of you that follow me on LinkedIn, please feel free once you've listened to this podcast to link with me. But you'll see that I do a lot of public speaking and in that tech space. And I remember at one event staring out to a sea of faces and it was at least 98% men and 2% women. Mind you, it was infrastructure and infrastructure might not be very sexy for some, but I stood there and I thought, we need to do something about this diversity challenge that we're facing in technology And I need to do something. I need to draw a line in the sand because I'm an avid believer that you cannot be what you cannot see. But there were hardly any women there to see another woman up on stage and talking about technology. And I thought, I need to do something. So an opportunity arose with Vic ICT for women and I took it. So that's kind of a little bit of a journey as to the why. And my why, because it's really important to have a very clear vision about why you do something. And Vic ICT, so what we do is we support women throughout their career 
life cycle. Actually, we support girls from the from grade five to year 12, then graduates through all the way through to any area in your career. So we have a number of programs, five programs, Go Girl, Go for IT, which some of your listeners may know of, Cassandra. We have Grad Girls, Importance of Women, What's Hot in Tech, and the event that you came and spoke to at Mentor She. And that was a wonderful event. It was amazing. And all of the things that we do are there to support women and those that um, that identify as female to really find their place, their voice, and courage in a world that is so incredibly male-dominated. So that's a little bit about Vic ICT. So good. Such a wonderful work you do in the world. And so maybe tell us more about then the, the is it one book you've written or several books? Two, and I've got a third coming out, which will be launched in March next year. So the first book was a, um, a In One Piece, A Step-by-Step Guide to Surviving Change. So really around... As leaders, when change is thrust upon us, what do we need to do to keep our teams cohesive and still focused on a vision whilst there's a great deal of upheaval around them? It's really challenging for leaders. It's not a book that talks, it doesn't talk about Cotter's model or this model or that model. It doesn't talk about that because anybody can pick up a book about that. But this is really what do I need to do as a leader to help my teams manage with the change? Right. And I, it, it just happened to come out at the beginning of COVID, which was just, uh, I can't say serendipitous because it just feels wrong with when you put COVID and that together, this, the juxtaposition there feels really uncomfortable. But it, it came out at that point. And I know that those leaders that read it were really grateful because it just talked about the things you need to do to help your staff. Because at the end of the day, they're the people that are going to make the difference. And then the second book, When Now Means Now, is a book of career reflection for me, but also to help other individuals. So there is that. And what I talk about a lot is um, don't be afraid to pivot. Be afraid not to. So there'll be a moment in your career where you'll, you'll just get to that point where you'll say, I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. And it's quite a scary moment because what is that something else if you haven't really thought about it? What a lot of people do is they will do what's easy and they'll go find an, the same job or something very similar at, this, at a different workplace and expect it to be different. And then in six to 12 months, they're in the same position of, I can't do this. I don't know why I'm doing this again. And so that's what the book's about, to help you plan, plan what that might look like, how you will work out what that next step will be. Fabulous. And can you give us a few clues about what the third book's shaping up to be about? Or is that top secret? <laughs> NDAs have been signed. It is coming out. It's with a, a UK publisher. So it will be a world world or a global launch. And uh, very a very interesting book coming out. But uh, when we are ready to release, I'm sure that you might want to say, hey, oh, wow, let's talk about it a bit more. But I, it's uh, it, it's going to be quite contentious. Uh, and exhilarating. Let's leave it at that. Oh, I'm intrigued. I look forward to that. Have you got a published date, a target It'll publishing date? End March. End of March. Okay, so that's not too long for, to keep us in suspense. That's good. No, but there's I've a big that. marketing campaign that will come through, so that's all in flight. All of that will start to, uh, you'll start seeing that. So we'll be looking for launch partners. That's really big for us, having people that are, 
keen to help us spread the word. Great. Okay. Well, that's fabulous. Um, we'll keep an eye on your LinkedIn feed for um, word of that end of March launch. Very exciting. And I'd love to ask a little bit more about that pivot from being a singer to setting your sights on the C-suite. Tell us more about what happened there. Um, my father passed away and he was my absolute, so my father was a musician. He was a working musician and an engineer. So there's a, there's a, there's a lovely correlation between math, science and music. So a lot of people that you'll find that are in the, the technical space will have some sort of a creative side to them that you may not even realise. And, you know, there's been many organisations that I've worked in where we've stood up a bit of a choir and had a bit of a yodel because we're all inclined that way because there is that, there is a, that lovely mix. And I, I was 25, I remember, that my father passed really suddenly and I, I just thought, I what am I doing? This is not bringing me joy anymore. And for me, it's about joy. I need to feel that I'm making a difference. I need to feel joyous whenever I do something. And I was not feeling that. I hadn't achieved what I wanted to achieve. I hadn't really planned it either. I'd sort of just, as with everything when I was younger, it was just a sort of flew by the seat of my pants. And it was at that point I realized I needed to do something different. If I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to move into a corporate world, then I really needed to plan it out. And quite frankly, I was just really tired of singing really late into the night. And and I'm a morning person, so it was really disruptive for me. <laughs> I just thought, wouldn't it be nice just to do a nine to five for a while? I had been singing professionally for about seven years at that point. So it was wow. like really, it was just time. And so I started to think about what it was I wanted to do. And I'm I am one of those individuals that's I like I I prefer yum cha to a big plate of katsu chicken, as an example. I know they're completely different cuisines, but or a big plate of uh, I don't know um a, a stir fry. I like little bits and tasting things. So I thought I'm going to tempt. 25 years ago, temping was a thing. It may not be a thing now. It's more contracting. But back in the day when you were an office temp, you'd go into an office a, a week or two days or this sort of thing. And you got to taste test. You got to see what different organizations were like. You got paid to do it and you had a little bit of fun. And I remember one of my very first temping assignments was at this little company in South Bank. Um, this is a little office. And I, and I went into the office and uh, I sat down, I was doing reception and I remember sitting there and they didn't have the little reception pad, the one you write down the messages on. Okay, so everyone on this call back in the day, that's what you did. And then you <laughs> took these little messages and you put them in little pigeonholes. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, that was automation back then. And uh, I, I sit down and they introduced me to a computer. Now, I was using typewriters at other offices, but this was a computer. And then I was advised of how to answer the phone. And to answer the phone, it was, good morning, Apple computer, Mary Beth speaking. And so that was my first road in to technology was doing a two-week assignment at Apple computer. Not Apple computers with an S, but Apple computer. And yes, it was Apple, as Apple as we know it. They had 
different Macs on the shelf there on display in the office. There was a Newton, if anybody knows what a Newton is. Uh, and they showed me email and they said, I said, where's the little message pad? They said, no, 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 we use this thing. It's this, this application called email. And I remember going home and saying to my then partner uh, at the time, I, I started at this place called Apple Computer and they use this thing called email. That will never take off. So <laughs> Mary Beth is not a futurist. <laughs> But my partner, who then became my husband a number of years later, was so excited because he'd bought an Apple Newton and he was on the cutting edge of tech. So he got into technology well before I did, but it was something really interesting about tech and that's kind of driven me ever since. Wow. I love that. What an incredible story. And it's so interesting to hear this experience you had where you you left singing to find a job with more joy because so many of us would associate singing with with joyousness and yet for you it had, it had lost the joy. I find that so interesting. I wanted to write and do my own songs, but mm. I wasn't known. So no one wanted to hear that crap, right? Sorry, pardon. No one wanted to hear that. <laughs> they wanted to hear all these, the popular songs, and they just didn't resonate for me. So I could sing them, but I didn't enjoy them. They weren't the songs like, I liked The Cure, Echo and the Bunnymen, Cocteau Twins, like really obscure things, but nobody's coming to a um, a wedding to hear that. They're wow. coming to a wedding to hear groovy kind of love and everything I do, I do it for you. And, <laughs> oh, and Mustang Sally, the very last thing <laughs> I did, I sang Mustang Sally eight times. There's never a point. There's never a point where eight times is 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 right. It's just not right, Cassandra. It's not right. So that was of course. Or what? How, how did you manage to sing it eight times? They kept saying, "Sing Mustang Sally." I'm like, "Oh my god!" It was like, and they were paying. And then we did eight hours at that gig. They just kept paying us for another hour and another hour. And it was it was it just got to that point. I'm okay. like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I said, if I have to sing Mustang Sally one more time, I'm I'm out the door. <laughs> I love it. It's a great story. <laughs> oh, I had a short-lived career as a mobile DJ at parties, and I remember the moment I realised I couldn't do it when I was playing my, my I was being the mobile party DJ at an eighties party in an RSL club at Sydney, and this very drunk, very tall man came up with a twenty-dollar note and slammed it down, and said, "Play freaking ACDC now." <laughs> I quickly banded my 80s tune and played him whatever he wanted. It was quite scary. That was my last night as a DJ. <laughs> ACDC has a place. Oh, yeah, but when, not when at an you, 80s 21st. <laughs> when, you said, uh, when you said 80s at an RSL, I, my brain went to, you know, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, you know. <laughs> but you meant 80s as in 1980s, not octogenarians, right? <laughs> no, the 19, it was a 1980s theme party at the, one of, I think it was Epping RSL on the outskirts of Sydney. That's where I was spending my Saturday nights at uni trying to make a few extra bucks. <laughs> I wasn't cut out to be a, a mobile party it. DJ. Oh, I love that. That is that is fantastic. It is interesting. It's interesting when you when when you you go into something and there is that point though, isn't it? It's whatever someone's slamming twenty dollars down and you know play Akadaka. 
because that's probably what he said. And for those of you that are listening overseas, you wouldn't even have a clue what Akadaka is. But you know, <laughs> and he didn't say freaking either. <laughs> no, but Kaz, Kaza, and I, we know what Akadaka is because this is how we are. This is how we roll in Australia. But there's that moment, isn't there? And you you know it, and everyone has it in their career. Uh, it's just some. It it it's just going to be something different for every individual. But the thing to realize is it's okay. I know a lot mm. of people that it's they're on a path. I was on a path. I was like, everyone knew me like, oh, Mary Beth, she's a singer. That's what she does. And when I shifted and changed that, I was so scared that I would be judged terribly for making this shift. Even now, and it, it's many years since, I will have people that knew me from different states where I've lived that knew me as a singer will even say now, oh, are you still singing? Mm. And there's a part of me that's sort of like, oh, well, no, but I do a lot of public speaking. So that's my performance art. Mm. Yes. It's just, it's just shifted. It's shifted and it's something new and it's something joyous for me. And what I do now is so joyous and it brings and I hope it ignites something deep down in those those people that hear me speak, especially women, especially women in STEM, that they sit back and go, actually, I've got this. I can do this. And I feel empowered to be able to do this. And that's, that's the mission. That's the mission now. Mm. And you can sense, uh, you know, seeing you now on screen, but even through your voice, as you can sense kind of a grace and a precision in how you speak and hold you, how you hold yourself as a speaker that that really sets you apart. And I think potentially links back to that um, experience performing as a singer. It it does, and and acting. And I was in a lot of stage shows, and I did a lot of that sort of thing. There's a, a thing when you act; it's called beat. There's a beat, not the rhythm that you would think of in a in a in a song, but there's a beat and the way in which you speak and how you would emphasize certain words mm. and taking a pause, taking a moment, and not filling the gaps with ums and ahs. It is really it's quite precision. In fact, when I recorded the audiobook for When Now Means Now, that was really fascinating to me because I've sung and I've recorded in recording studios for a long time and I walked back into a recording studio and it was very very different and it was really challenging really hard I was like oh wow this is hard stuff but it was mm. it was great and the outcome I'm I'm impressed and pleased with the outcome wonderful oh okay so so fascinating uh so I think we'll move on to the key question that I ask all of my guests, which is, Mary Beth, can you tell us about a time in your life when you realised that you were not being true to yourself? We talked about this a little bit before coming on and and, I, and you posited the question and, and I thought, oh, I've got one. <laughs> I've got one straight away. So a number of years ago, I had coveted a position, a new role, in an organization I'm I'd been doing a substantial part of that role already and I wanted to be seen to be the next the, the successor for the leader who was moving on and I and that leader was 
was trying to be really, really helpful and said to me, look, I've got some feedback for you which might help you. And I thought, oh, brilliant, because this is what I need. So I, I put my resume in and I had applied for the role within the organisation. And I went and I, I had a meeting with this leader and they advised me that the only way I'd be seen um, in a good light within the organisation was if I straightened my hair. Now, my hair was very curly, quite much longer than it is now. And I was advised that my hair made me come across, because it's so curly, made me come across as unhinged and uh, and that it was going to be detrimental to me being able to progress in the organisation. So I needed to sort that out. There was some other feedback. I don't remember what that feedback was because I was just so fixated on this piece of apparel my, my appearance was was going to be detrimental to me not getting somewhere and I never had that before never been told that that would be a differentiator for me that I wouldn't I wouldn't get a role I wouldn't be seen in a, a positive light because of it but what was more interesting to me was what I did with that information now I'm a very uh, straightforward pragmatic individual I, I took that information, I came home and I thought, I really want that role. I'm doing it, most of it now. And not I, I never thought I deserve it. That was never in my in my thinking, but I thought, I want this. And so I went to the hairdresser, spent $300 and had my hair chemically straightened. And the next day, actually that was a Friday, so I came back the next Monday with my hair straight. And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, who is that? That's not me. And then I went to all of these networking events and I looked just like everybody else, straight hair, you know, and I was like, this isn't me. This is not me. I, I didn't get the role, mind you. I didn't even get an interview. I didn't get looking. Oh. Um, there was somebody already in flight, somebody that already decided on well before I had even applied and and that happens and now I'm not bitter about that but what I'm really interested in myself was and, and I reflect on it now what was I thinking because if if I am not accepted as me authentic me pragmatic brash whatever that might be then is this the place I want to be at is this the place I want to work in and I realized at that moment you need to find those people that totally get your level of crazy. <laughs> because if they don't get your level of crazy, then then you're in the wrong place. It doesn't matter how good an organisation it is, you are not in a place that's good for you, right? So, you know, all these organisations do, oh, we're the, we've won a great place to work, but it might not be a great place to work for you. And if you cannot be your authentic self and who you truly are, and find that place because it exists, it is out there. And so I kept with the straight hair for about three months, going in and doing all the straightening and buying all the paraphernalia for that until I, I sort of got to the point. And I just thought, oh, God, I don't like my hair straight. It's not me. It is not me. This isn't me. And I stood back and I thought, you know what? They don't like me with uh, my hair curly. That's on them, not on me. Got my hair cut short, went back to the curly, and I've never, and I haven't looked back. 
And then I found a CIO role at a place that actually got Oh, I think your audio has just dropped out. Oh, do sorry about it's that. Back now. Yeah. It's back now. Sorry about that. Um, I you found a place that accepted the the crazy hair. The I did. I found hair. a place that accepted my my level of crazy, mm. my crazy curly hair, and I haven't looked back. And all I can say is that all I can say is that if you are not living your life as your authentic self, you will feel a big, big emptiness. It will, it will, and it will eat you up. So you've really mm. got to find, you've got to, you've got to really dig down deep and just get back to who you really are. And I haven't, I honestly have not looked back and my career trajectory has increased and increased because there was that moment of acceptance. Yes, my hair's curly. So what? It doesn't mean I'm unhinged. It's interesting, shocking. though. It's shocking feedback. It's feedback, right? What you do with it is what makes it shocking or makes it. Mm. You get you will get feedback throughout your career. What you do with it is the most important thing. And what I say at the end of my book: don't straighten your hair. <laughs> <laughs> so. Maybe just to finish off, Mary Beth, you know, you've shared such fabulous stories, such interesting stories that I think really bring to light this tricky business of staying true to ourselves and that we we all sometimes find ourselves off course, but it's about how we get back on track, how we uh, really come back to embodying who we really are with confidence um, and courage so any final thoughts that you might like to share with, with the listeners before we wrap things up? Just to thank you for having me, but also just be true to you. Remember mm. who you are. Mm. Thank you so much, Mary Beth. I really enjoyed our conversation. I, you've got some fabulous stories to share. I look forward to your next book being released in, in March next year and we'll absolutely be supporting you on, on LinkedIn and your other platforms. So thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Cassandra. By being true to our deeper selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As the founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.